The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm superstar Frank Morano. I hope you had a nice weekend. And I want to first begin by giving you a special programming advisory. Sid Rosenberg is off for Yom Kippur today. By the way, for those of you celebrating Yom Kippur, I hope all of you have an easy fast. So I am going to be sitting in for Sid in the 6 o'clock hour. I'll be in from 6 to 7. And then I believe Dominic Carter and John Katzmatidis will take you the rest of the way from 7 until 10. Since I was in the fifth grade, some people in Staten Island have been talking about seceding from New York City. It sort of reached a fever pitch in 1993 when a lot of Staten Islanders voted to study the issue of secession and move forward with it. Ultimately, it was torpedoed by Sheldon Silver, who said he wouldn't go forward with secession for Staten Island unless New York City provided a home rule message. Well, the fires of secession are smoldering again. And now, Borough President Vito Fasella, who's a regular here on WABC, you hear him often on uh, Cats and Cosby, he is leading the latest secession charge, saying his office will fund a new study to put together information on what an independent city of Staten Island would look like, and he's gotten his local government counterparts on board, both Democrat and Republican. Now, it's important to note that this doesn't mean that everyone that's on board with this study is for secession. It just means they're on board with studying the economic impact of secession, which I'm all for. I think before Staten Islanders and before New Yorkers can make any sort of a decision as to whether or not they want to be their own separate city, we need to know the dollars and cents of it. Is Staten Island going to have to raise taxes enormously because we're not going to have the incredible income taxes from Wall Street and the incredible property taxes from Park Avenue to pay our bills? Or is this something that's viable? So wherever you fall on the secession issue, wherever you live, in this city. I think we should all be in favor of Vito Fasella's proposal for a study to look at what this would mean from a dollars and cents perspective. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. Tomorrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm superstar Frank Morano. I have been trying to figure out just what exactly I hate most about the current incarnation of the MTA's congestion pricing plan. And there's a lot of things to dislike about it. For starters, it does nothing to reduce traffic. For starters, it does nothing to reduce congestion. In fact, it may even make congestion worse outside of Midtown. And I agree with the head of the Transportation Workers Union, John Samuelson, who's actually a member of the Traffic Mobility Review Board that's assigned to set congestion pricing fees and exemption. And he himself is saying that this is just a thinly veiled MTA cash grab. And it's difficult to look at it any other way. But I really have figured out what it is I hate most about this. 
basically, the congestion pricing plans that they're talking about implementing and are going to be implementing, perhaps in a matter of just a few months, is the equivalent of charging a drowning man for being wet. What do I mean by that? So Gothamist, the newspaper The Gothamist, reported that while the MTA is confident its congestion pricing program is on track to go into effect in May, the agency has no plans to increase bus service and expects subways to absorb additional riders. Now, in my own case, I drive into work every night. I do that because there's not a sufficient amount of bus service where I live to where I work. If I were to take the bus, I would have to essentially leave my home another 90 minutes earlier than the time I do now and depriving myself of another 90 minutes with my family or 90 minutes of rest or 90 minutes of show prep, whatever the case may be. If there was a sound mass transit infrastructure in place, I would take mass transit every day, which is what I've done when I've worked other shifts. So for the MTA to say that they're going to be charging people before they even have adequate bus service in place is insane. It's unfair. It's penalizing people who live in mass transit deserts. If they're serious about reducing traffic congestion, which I don't believe they are, I believe this is nothing but another tax on working class New Yorkers. But if they're serious on alleviating traffic congestion in the city, then before you talk about charging people, the first thing you have to put in place is a mass transit infrastructure so people don't have to drive in from these places where they don't have trains and buses. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. I don't think it's a secret that New York City's jails are a bit of a mess. Now, they have shown, by all accounts, some signs of improvement over the course of the last year, but they're still a total mess. If you look at the situation at Rikers, there are multiple incidents of violence all the time. There are multiple deaths, many of which are unexplained. And I'm not solely blaming Eric Adams and his administration for this. This goes back long before Mayor Adams and his corrections commissioner, Louis Molina. This goes back at least to the de Blasio administration. So I have no problem with the corrections commissioner, Louis Molina, doing some out-of-the-box things to try and get some new strategies over how to solve New York City's jail crisis. Well, he and more than a half dozen of his top aides went to London recently on a taxpayer-funded trip in order to study the jail systems there. And what they were doing. Well, the New York Daily News reported over the weekend that Commissioner Molina and more than a half dozen of his aides are seen in photos grinning in front of tourist landmarks in London during their taxpayer-funded trip. This despite a freeze on all out-of-state travel. And if you look at these pictures, which the Daily News published, they're having a gay old time. They're seen in these photos, grinning in front of all these landmarks during this taxpayer-funded trip, while the correction spokesman characterized the trip as a solemn series of visits to lockups in Paris and London to learn about their jail policies and practices. The photos just look like 
a bunch of people having a great time on vacation. Commissioner Molina's all-expense-paid trip to Europe comes as the mayor is pressing for deep spending cuts across city government with a goal of slashing all agency budgets by 5% by November. On Tuesday, the mayor's budget office disseminated a memo informing all city agencies that they are no longer allowed to spend any taxpayer money on all travel expenses outside of New York City and Albany. Given that memo, City Councilwoman Gail Brewer, who chairs the council's oversight and investigation committee, said she was baffled by Molina's overseas tour. And you know what? So am I. There are agency trips that might make sense, but I don't think you should do it at a time that austerity is taking place. She's exactly right. How do the mayor's people behave so brazenly in flaunting the very rules that they're asking everybody else to adhere to? Beam me up. To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. Where does it end with Mayor Adams? I mean, you want to talk about a guy who is just so shady. It is staggering. There are more questions about Eric Adams, his mayoralty, and his campaign than most mayors have had in their second or even third terms. Eric Adams' 2021 mayoral campaign repeatedly ignored city regulators' request to identify political supporters suspected of raising more than $300,000 in donations without disclosing their role. They just ignored it. That's according to, not me, but campaign finance board records obtained by the newspaper The City. I will say again, thank God New York has a media outlet like The City. They are doing great work. So thanks to a program that provides matching funds of up to 8 to 1 for eligible contributions. Again, understand how lavish that is. You give someone running for mayor that qualifies for the program 100 bucks. the city taxpayers kick in with $800, and your $100 contribution becomes $900. The donations that we're talking about here secured an additional $522,000 in public funds for the Adams campaign. So we are talking taxpayer dollars here. The disclosures pressed for by the campaign finance board are required under longtime city campaign finance laws, which aim to provide transparency to voters about the identity of bundlers who often seek to gain clout with elected officials by collecting contributions that mushroom with public matching dollars. Now, the problem here is that transparency didn't happen. The campaign finance board repeatedly asked the Adams campaign about a cluster of donations from eco-safety employees, a request that went unanswered. Then, this July, the Manhattan DA filed an indictment alleging that donations from that cluster were part of a larger conspiracy to use falsified contributions to trigger matching funds in an effort to gain an advantage with Adams. How can the campaign just ignore this? I will tell you, if this was Curtis Lewis' campaign that just ignored it, he'd be on the receiving end of a lot more than just a negative newspaper article. There would be serious repercussions. I don't understand why there aren't with this guy. Beam me up! To be continued.